0: reaching out to people in closed countries and persecuted countries, teach missionaries to go out and uh, evangelize and and teach the word of God. So for a few years now, uh, we've realized there's such a great need for missionaries and for Christians to uh, understand cybersecurity, understand the risks and things that they can do.
1: Welcome to the Christian Emergency Podcast, a podcast for Christians spooked by the growing hostility in the culture today. We will tackle a range of topics from current events, persecution, missions, and what it means to be the church. You will gain valuable insights from those experienced working with persecuted Christians around the world, insights we all need to chew on in these strange days. Together, may we help the church stand. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Christian Emergency Podcast. I'm Andy Coleman, your host, and today we are going to be training our eyes on technology. We're going to have a guest with us named Dan, who brings a couple different perspectives that are going to be helpful for us when we think through technology, privacy, If you're paying attention to the world around you, you're realizing that big tech doesn't always have the church's interests at heart, that there are some privacy concerns out there, that there's just an interesting array, an interesting environment for Christians, Christian families, churches to walk through, and how do we do that? How do we have our eyes open? How do we, you know, migrate smartly as we go forward and Dan is going to help speak to that in addition to a very interesting perspective he brings to bear as far as his background. Dan, I am delighted to have you as a guest. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here. So I hinted at it. You have this background, but as we're thinking through technology and even regulations, local authorities, big tech, uh, some have heard the term that there's this like a soft totalitarianism kind of rising up where big tech and government is able to exert a lot of influence and pressure. They're able to block things that Christians might be active doing or sharing and all of this, but this isn't necessarily the first exposure you have had to pressures being applied to the church in a macro level like that, is it? Can you tell us a little bit of where you grew up and what that looked like?
0: yes so i was uh born in uh, romania right as uh communism fell in 89 mm-hmm. and um it's very interesting to see and to hear mostly the stories and how, what the church had to go through under communism and what they had to deal with yeah and christians in general it, it is um Communism itself, which is unfortunate that we're seeing a lot of Marxist ideas here in the United States now, especially with Antifa and things like that. But under communism, Christians were persecuted. To give you an example, if you were a Christian, you could not uh, serve in the military as a paid. You had to go to military for one year and a few months. But after that, if you wanted to be employed by the military, you couldn't do that if you're a Christian. You couldn't be a police officer. Um, you couldn't be a manager or a supervisor over people. All companies and all industry was owned by the government. There's no such thing as private businesses. So you couldn't even be the manager of a bicycle repair shop if you were a Christian. In schools, Christians were uh, talked down to by the professors or looked down on. Um, You didn't have the opportunities to go past high school. You can go to college. You can go to a trade school. It was very, very difficult as a Christian.
1: Right. A few episodes ago, we talked to a believer who was living in East Germany under the communism. And he actually, you know, he had many things to describe as far as hardships and prices that he had to pay as a believing Christian. But he actually pointed to Romania, this country that you were born into, um, as being an area where it was particularly hard for Christians. He he was almost to the extent like, I can't really complain because of what the Christians in Romania had to go through. So you're born, at, you know, you're a little guy as this system is crumbling, but you have a front row seat to some of the context that Christians went through. And that was through what your family went through. Is that correct?
0: Yes, absolutely. My, um, my grandparents were the first generation of christian believers and then my parents and then uh, me so i was born right as the the communism collapsed in pretty much all over eastern europe and so i grew up in a country that was ravaged by communism for decades and that alone was even though communism fell things were not were not good all of a sudden i mean we're we're talking no middle class either poor or Those who were wealthy were wealthy. There was no middle class. 30 years later now, things, I think, are getting better. Um, Corruption destroyed that country, and you can still see the effects years later.
1: So what was your family doing? What was your father up to when communism was in full swing? Were they able to live out their faith? Were they able to engage in ministry?
0: Um, They were able to live out their faith, but in fear, persecuted, beaten many times, jailed. Um, so uh, communism itself is a system of fear and control. That is its sole purpose. To give you an example, if you had a death wish, just say something negative about the dictator. Right. That was such a severe punishment. Like here, where we have freedom of speech, if you said anything bad about the dictator, you, that's a death wish. Literally, you you could be shot in the street, and nobody would say anything. My dad told me a story where somebody wrote um, in, in the company he was working with. Somebody wrote on a wall something negative about the dictator. The company was shut down for over a week. Authorities investigated it so thoroughly just to find out who who did that. So that's, uh, that's that's what communism is about.
1: Yeah, they don't take those slights well, do they? It's pretty serious. Oh, absolutely not. No. In 1972, I believe,
0: there was a law that was passed in Romania where you could not import or sell or buy any kind of Christian literature, books, commentaries, uh, Bibles, anything like that. So after that, my dad um, was involved in a ministry where they were smuggling Bibles into Romania and passing them out. Yeah. So he lived in a city near the border with Hungary, Arad. And um, he was recruited by a believer in a church, and he became very active in doing that. So the, the Bibles were smuggled across the border, either through the border between Romania and Hungary or other borders. And then they would be put in safe houses in the city. Usually it was like basements of apartment buildings that were more hidden. And then from there, you would have people like my dad who would take those Bibles and then distribute them throughout Romania to different contexts. And they had a really good, uh, I think, secure system for for their time. And the way they did it is just amazing how God uh, helped them. The only person my dad knew was the person that recruited him. So the person that recruited him would tell him, hey, I need you to take uh, two bags full of Bibles across the country to the city. In the city, there's going to be a contact that you're going to give him to. Uh, he would tell my dad what that contact was going to wear and a passphrase. So when you when you see him and you walk right next to him or by him, you you say this Bible verse. And he will reply with a different Bible verse. And then if everything matches, then you exchange the packages. You know, you give him the, the Bibles. So they did that for a long time, for over 10 years uh, involved in that ministry. And um, uh, it was just great. So one of the things my my dad told me was that um, he would uh, usually have bags that military soldiers used to report to military. And he always had a letter on him, an uh, official letter that looked like he was uh, drafted to go and do his military service. So in case he, he was stopped or anything like that, he just looked like a soldier that's reporting for uh, for wow. military service. and. So he would travel to to all these different cities. He would get the information from the person that recruited him about the contact delivered this many Bibles here, this many Bibles there. And once he got to the city, he would deliver the Bibles and then he would go do some kind of sightseeing. Or if if it was a Sunday, he would go to church service just to have an alibi in case he gets stopped by the authorities. He'd have an alibi of what he's doing so far away from his city, where he lives, what he's doing over here So. Um, that's the way they went about it. I mean, they used public transportation like to train. Um, they couldn't use cars because um, every city had a checkpoint. So right. Right, if you were driving a car, you would get searched a lot more than using public transportation.
1: Yeah, it sounds like they were very savvy in how they carried out that work. I mean, the the state moved to suppress Christian literature and Bibles and the church... Honors God by continuing to ensure that people have access to the Word, that the Gospel is able to be proclaimed and shared, even under duress and challenges. Um, they're smart. You describe, you know, a single point of contact that, of course, preserves security. Should anybody be arrested or detained or interrogated, uh, they're not able to, uh, you know, disclose the identities of a whole bunch of people. It's very compartmentalized cabin security. I am so encouraged hearing faithful stories like that. I think you know, Christians around the world, including in Western nations now, need to just kind of be mulling these types of things over. What would I do in a scenario if, you know, this got shut down? If we were no longer allowed to share these resources digitally, what am I going to do to make sure that we continue to to share Christ? You know, we saw a little bit about that, and we're continuing to see some of that in some areas of the world where churches are still shut down um, due to covid and so I think this is really healthy for Christians just to be considering and exploring and thinking ahead. We we just need to think a little bit ahead of how we're going to be faithful. Let me ask you this, since we're on the topic of technology today, and our audience spans many different nations, different corners of the world. So in some areas, like believers in Asia, if you're at all at work with the the church in China, a lot of what you just heard is old hat to you. You recognize that. You recognize the security risks. And you know when we think about missions, people are having to be savvy to that in different contexts, whether they're working in the Middle East or parts of Africa, uh, again China, uh, difficult countries where these are suppressed, where Christian communities are under the thumb of local authorities. These are the types of measures they're taking today. But while we're talking about technology even though you know we're talking decades ago in a very different environment, I mean, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, was technology used in Romania to monitor Christians or to, to try to control that?
0: Um, I think for the most part, uh, they used people on the ground. I'm, I mean, I'm not too familiar with all the tactics of the secret police, we'll call them, right. but I believe they used a lot of tracking. Uh, my father has told me plenty of times where he, he felt like there are people tracking him. He was definitely called into the, to the authorities and interrogated uh, one time. I think he was locked up for three days with, with no reason they're just interrogating him and, and of course beating him. That was their favorite thing to do. It seems to beat Christians.
1: Yeah, I do. I think that's true. I think they use a lot of human resources to, to monitor people, to track people, to report on people and movements. I have heard accounts from others, including some in Romania, where recording devices were planted to listen in on on rooms or houses that people were hoping that were secure and private, which turned out not to be. So I can only imagine the challenge that came from being Christian, an active Christian in Romania during the the height of communist rule.
0: And churches, I mean, all all churches had secret police or informants that would write down and report everything that was happening in a church. Who preached what they preached about everything like that. So it was, um, it was definitely challenging.
1: Yeah. And let's take courage from that. Okay. So, I mean, just put ourselves in those shoes. You had the government, you had ruling authorities hounding you. You had really discouraging people on the inside of the church, people who are supposed to be blessing the flock, but are instead wolves that they're actually reporting on the flock to those same authorities. So you had threats inside and outside of the church. And yet, the church still stood and was active and and did their very best to work around those hurdles. So for anybody that's looking around society today, whatever country you're in and if pressures are building inside and outside the church, this is nothing new. The church has had to deal with things like this before and we'll deal with it now. But I think that context is really good for us to, to consider.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the church grew in strength and in numbers there's nothing communism could have done to stop. They, they never will. This is the Church of Christ. So absolutely, it's, it's a story of victory, um, just like the church has been through many persecutions in the last 2,000 years. Nothing was able to stop uh, the body of Christ from growing and, and becoming stronger.
1: Right. So you were born at the end of communist Romania, but you no longer live in Romania. You are elsewhere. Uh, how did that happen?
0: Uh, my father came to United States as a as a refugee, and um, unfortunately, right after communism fell, uh, he was still working on his case, and um, he was denied refugee status. So um, after that, he didn't want to go back to Romania for for some reason, and he became a, a pastor here at a church and was able to obtain uh, permanent resident status through that as a religious worker. Mm-hmm. But it took him nearly 10 years to bring me, my mom, and my uh, little brother from Romania. So my parents were separated for almost 10 years. And it was a miracle of God that happened that we finally, in 2000, were able to come to America to reunite with him.
1: Wow. That separation just...
0: Yeah, it is a huge sacrifice. But, you know, I really appreciate it because it gave me and my brothers and now my sister opportunities that we would have never had in that we have here in the United States because it is just such an amazing country.
1: So that's a rough family setup that you're describing as far as the separation, the challenges, the uncertainty. Through all of that though, you as a family, it sounds like you all remained faithful during that time. I'm curious from your own perspective, did you did you come to Christ during that period? Did you come to Christ after that period? How did that play out in your life?
0: Yeah, I came to Christ after that period. I came towards the end of my high school years. I mean, I my dad was a pastor. I went to church. I I believe the faith, what the what the Bible teaches me personally to accept Christ and have a relationship with Him. That happened towards my uh, towards the end of my high school. Um, I would say I was still maybe slightly unsure as I went into college. And um, after about two years of college, I, I I would say I was a very strong believer. Um, there's a lot of evolution in my first two years of college that really prompted me to start researching the Bible, start researching. Is, is it evolution or is it creation? Mm -hmm. Is there a God that created everything or we evolved? And as I was doing research, reading books and and so forth, I came to the conclusion, yes, no doubt in my mind, there's a creator God and and that Jesus Christ is his son and died on the cross. And yeah, I fell in in love with God and Jesus after that and been uh, following him ever
1: since. That's similar to my own account, the same timeline as far as my own life. So I, I can recognize that pattern. We will return to the podcast momentarily, but first, a word from our sponsor. Being a Christian today can be hard. This is true if you live in a heavily persecuted country like Iran, or areas where cultural pressures against Christians are growing fast, like America and Europe. Fortunately, none of us have to stand alone. We are part of a giant body, one huge spiritual family that spans the globe, that is the church. The Christian Emergency Alliance is committed to helping the church stand, regardless of the pressures to come. As a 501c3 nonprofit, the Christian Emergency Alliance strives to help our spiritual family when persecution hits. We also strengthen the church by supporting ministry that makes Christ famous, defends biblical truth, and prepares fellow believers for challenges ahead. You have the opportunity to make a huge impact in this work today. Become a monthly financial ally of the Christian Emergency Alliance by signing up at ChristianEmergency.com. Your support of $25 a month or a gift in any amount will bless those who need help in these darkening days. Help the church stand today, tomorrow, and in the days to come. Register today at www.ChristianEmergency.com. And now, back to the show. To start to look a little bit at the tech side of this conversation— I'm guessing that at some point you also just realized that you really enjoy technology and you started to learn it and really build up your chops in the the tech side. Is that true?
0: Yeah. I've uh, always liked computers since I was small. um, I I love unfortunately playing video games, maybe too much in uh, in high school on them, but just love that even as a small child, I would take radios apart. I just wanted to know how they work. Just, always had that curiosity. I think my, my grandpa was very upset because all his radios were taken apart, <laughs> lost all his uh, pieces and, and all that. And as I uh, decided what to do uh, in college, I, uh, I chose to major in uh, cybersecurity.
1: Okay. And so you studied cybersecurity and have you done any work in that world? How did you migrate out of college?
0: So yeah, I finished uh, my degree in cybersecurity. I went and worked in um, government agency, and I started out doing regular IT work and then moved into security at that uh, government agency and uh, became a cybersecurity engineer, which is what I do now.
1: Okay. So you know of what you speak. Let's turn our attention to the technology that's around us as Christians. You described Romania under communism, and some would describe that as totalitarianism. I think that's accurate. Some observers today in parts of the world are describing soft totalitarianism, where it doesn't have the hard tactics, the beatings, the interrogations like you saw in countries 40 years ago or in China today and in other areas. But you do have this oppressive authority applying pressure in the form of kind of a fusion between government action and big technology and corporations that are applying pressure as well. How would you describe for a Christian listening to this, a Christian family, a church, a missionary, how would you describe the technological landscape that's, that's emerging around us today?
0: I um, would say we all have a digital presence or a digital identity, if I would refer to it like that. Even our one year old, you know, there's pictures of him posted on social media and things like that. So we all have some kind of digital presence. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think we're aware of that information that's in that digital presence that we have online uh, email, bank accounts, everything we do is online. I mean, I pay all my utilities online. Um, I pay my mortgage online. Everything I do is is online and my information is out there. And uh, on top of that, we have social media. We have all of these uh, YouTube and Amazon and we, are, we have accounts on there and we shop on there. And we do so much of what we do and our activities online. In fact, so much of it is online that you could create probably every moment of somebody's day of what they're doing just based on that information that is online and and what they do online these days.
1: Yeah. And so much of it seems wonderful. There's incredible convenience. There's comfort. In many ways, technology represents excellent tools. Of course, tools can have two edges, two sides. Um, Both blessings and curses can come in the form of technology And I've heard it described that we right now are in this very interesting season of history where we're really migrating from the industrial age to a true technological age, a digital age. And so we are being stretched in in different areas right now, which may account for some of the confusion and turmoil. But it is something that we as the church need to be thoughtful about. We need to learn from how— Uh, technology can help us. I'm I'm thinking as far as gospel proclamation, prayer, connecting the body in different parts of the world, um, there's exciting things that we can use technology for, but we do have to be aware of the myriad downsides. And just because we may not be feeling problems today, we should be thinking a little bit down the road and considering how some of our activities now could potentially compromise us or others later Before we drill into some of, perhaps, the specific risks, can you just paint a picture for us about how smartphones and social media—you know, this is really the last 10 years, I suppose, when we think about the advent of smartphones and the launch of social media—how has that affected things, and how has that affected things as we're thinking through it as Christians?
0: The good things about it is, uh, of course, what you mentioned, the fact that I can have a video call with my relatives from Romania across the world and see them face-to-face. It's amazing. Same with technology, same with phones, um, just even the ability to have almost all the knowledge in the world at your fingertips. It, it is amazing. It is great. Unfortunately, I, I don't think most people use it for that. Mm-hmm. But computers, phones, uh, anything electronic, uh, they collect a lot of information about us. Yeah. That's just the way they're designed. To give you an example, the reason I can do my job is because of all the information that every system collects, logs and things like that. And I can determine if something's going on if we're being attacked or things like that. I'm speaking about my, my job. Um, but everything you do is in some way tracked. And that information is going somewhere. Right. And it's stored somewhere. Everything you do on your phone, on your computer. And we need to be aware of that. Right. Now, we we live in a country where our government is not looking out to harm us in that sense, hopefully. But what about other countries where, where government is particularly interested in this kind of information, is collecting all this data and then targeting people based on their activity. Right. Based on what they do. That's where I think uh, we need to be aware and understand that everything that we, we do and everything we have done until now, online, is recorded. It's stored somewhere. Right. And I've said this in, in some conversations before, where, you know, for us, there's so much information about us adults that's already out there, who we are, what we believe in everything, just based on what we post on social media and things like that, that it's very easy you just need to look through somebody's Twitter history or look through their social media and find out exactly if they're conservative or not, what they believe, what they stand for. And that's sad. We gave away all that information. And I think as far as privacy, that's, that's very sad. Hopefully, we understand this and we do a better job of teaching our children so that uh, at least they can keep uh, their privacy.
1: Right. And I recall a conversation that you and I had earlier where you made that point, and I thought it was well stated. You essentially said that as these things kicked off, a lot in our generation or older generations just kind of went all in and all of our information was out there and exposed. And it's almost too late for many of them because they have been so active in some of these areas but uh, that there's still opportunities to share with younger generations about some of those risks and really give them the opportunity to shield more of that off and to be thoughtful in how they conduct themselves. So that's a good point. And as, as we're talking about the risks of technology, I do think, as I kind of mentioned, smartphones and social media, I do think that that opened up an entirely new world where not only were they able to check who was logging in or what activity was being done, but there's all kinds of telemetrics, movements, uh, geographic locations, all of these other patterns that was entire different uh, echelons of information and data that could be harvested, utilized, ostensibly to improve service by companies, app, you know, service providers and all of this. But that there's just so much information when you're thinking about the position of an individual, where they are what they're doing, where they spend their time, uh, let alone the communications that are going on or the photos that are being posted and all of that. And one other thing is you, you made the point that right now in many parts of the world, the government may not take an active interest in a lot of that information. But it's also one of those things that I don't know that, that wisdom would allow us to say that there's a firewall between governments and social media outlets or corporations or that even if they're not cooperating today, that they will never cooperate. In fact, we know that in some countries, global companies, global telecommunication companies, media companies have cooperated with local authorities. They've essentially followed local regulations that allow for some of that information to be harvested for other purposes. And I'm thinking of some of the stricter countries of the world. This is something that we have to be considering.
0: Absolutely, yes. in order to do business, which is they do have to abide by their laws. And some of their laws are, I think, pretty horrible when it comes to people's privacy. Yeah. Um, Social media is, is a great tool, but at the same time, it could be a great danger. Like imagine if a brother from a closed persecuted country posts a picture on social media with somebody from America. I mean, there's stories I've heard of where just having a contact in your phone that looks like an american name can get you killed in in a close country persecuted country so um yeah it it can present a lot of danger if you're not careful on what you post on social media
1: absolutely for any of us that are involved in missions or sending short-term mission trips uh, around the world once uh, more international travel does free up this is being recorded in april 2021 um, and there's still some restrictions on that travel but we should be thinking about those things. Be careful what you post. be careful what you're sharing. the The pressures that we're describing, the problems that we could reap may not fall on us, but it might be falling on those that we're seeking to help and assist. So that's a caveat from the missions side. But let's also just drill into again, going back to our local church, our local church members. What kind of risks would you want them to be paying attention to specifically in our own context, whether we're in Sweden or Australia or Germany or Thailand, United States, wherever? What would you just advise to Christians today as far as risks from technology?
0: Probably your biggest risk is just uh, your information being stolen, your identity being stolen, uh, or your bank account, your emails being uh, accessed by somebody you don't want them to be accessed by criminal hackers. That would be a great risk. Um, And then as well as uh, certain platforms that are just not, uh, for example, there's a lot of the social media platforms, they do not, um, they're not for free speech in any way. They're a uh, platform that censors certain truths that they don't like or don't agree with. So as far as that's concerned for younger teenagers and, and so forth, uh, that's something that parents need to be aware of that, you know, these platforms do censor truth and that they're not platforms for free expression and right. to be aware of that. We, we don't want our children to be brainwashed or, or anything like that by, uh, by the things that um, they're Allowed to see and things that they're not allowed to see.
1: I love that you brought up parents because we do have responsibilities as parents to shepherd our kiddos well. And there's just a lot out there in the social media, the tech world that uh, I do believe pose risks to them. In one of our conversations before it came up, you know, for a lot of smartphones now, they're using you know you're kind of using your face as the the key to unlock your phone and at the same time we have a whole bunch of apps out there that love to take pictures of your face and do something goofy with it um, make you look older make you look younger make you look different but all that face technology is essentially a password and it's a password you can't really change so we just can't be caught flat-footed we need to be thinking through this and having conversations naturally with our kids when they come up not to be paranoid not to be overly cynical or anything like this but just to make sure that we're having conversations and we're helping them just think through some of the decisions that they're making right now.
0: Absolutely. And I, I would say if you're going to give your child a device, um, you need to set parental controls on that. There's so much filth at oh his fingertips yeah. that they can get to and literally just destroy them, destroy their innocence, in essence, with technology. So parents definitely need to be aware of that. I don't think I will leave my child unattended in their own bedroom with a laptop, just knowing unless that laptop has parental controls and unless I'm able to securely properly because of what can happen and the things that they will be exposed to.
1: Absolutely. I'm 100% with you. I do not think that we can follow the cues of the secular culture around us because I know it's become the norm for parents to give their kids devices at younger and younger ages often without good controls, and that to me is almost just like giving them a loaded gun and hoping that they use it well. I think it's fraught with risk. We as Christians cannot fall into that trap. We have to be thinking about it. I would really encourage parents to, to resist those types of pressures and to, to hold tight and, and resist that temptation to provide devices until they're uh, significantly older that, that's a whole nother conversation on wisdom, on how to do that and do that well. Do you give it to them for a few years before they're out of the home so that you can at least walk with them for a series of that? That's that's a whole nother side of this conversation. But again, just queuing up those conversations, engaging with them naturally, and, and staying aware as parents is absolutely clutch uh, for us going forward. Would you add anything else to that, Dan?
0: That's my um, advice. There's many dangers when it comes to your privacy and security. And uh, unfortunately, whenever you get a mobile device or a laptop, it doesn't come with security training. No, it doesn't tell you how to use this securely. Or when you open a email account, or it doesn't really teach you uh, cybersecurity and how to use this properly. And that's That's unfortunate. I don't know if that's possible on such a large scale since, you know, we usually change our mobile devices every year or so. Uh, But yeah, there is a lot of risk to your identity uh, and security when every time you uh, are online and that people are not aware of. And uh, I'm trying to make them aware of it as much as I can
1: in a sense there's no reason why the manufacturers those that are selling this technology would really have an incentive to do that unless there was some pressure brought to bear for really they want those tools to be used as much as possible they want those apps to be used they they certainly don't want to raise cautionary flags they want you to use it more A, a lot of those apps have addictive qualities built into the engineering they're designed to continue to be used They're bottomless pits often Um, And they're just trying to get more time, more usage. So that's important. Also realizing kind of in line with that, that there's predators out there. There's wolves out there that are trying to use this technology to share messages that they are intent on promulgating. And some of those are really, really nasty and nefarious. And they are in many ways often going after kiddos. So lots of risks out there. But we also, just by having this conversation are starting to apprise ourselves of those risks. And we're able to share that with our kids, with other parents, as we work and look out for one another, as well as fellow believers with our churches. So this is very healthy. Let's let's talk briefly about that. What are some things, Dan, that we can do to mitigate some of those risks, whether it's with our kids, just ourselves, our families, or our churches?
0: I think recently I read a report that the cyber crime industry made more money than the drug industry worldwide. So it is a huge business. There's, um, there's some amazing things that we can do to protect ourselves against hackers, against uh, any kind of cyber criminals. And uh, probably the most important thing I would say is keep those devices that you have up to date. Mm-hmm. Uh, most devices allow you to just set them to auto-update and they will update as soon as uh, there's a new update available from that manufacturer. Uh, just keep them updated. Uh, your phone, your computer, uh, everything, your tablet, check at least once a month for updates to make sure that they're always updated because there's always these uh, vulnerabilities or weaknesses that are found that the manufacturer will then release an update to fix that. So that is one of the things you can do to uh, make sure your devices is, is more secure is to always keep it up to date and and the same with applications. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to constantly keep those applications up to date. All the apps on your phone, any application on your laptop, desktop, keep them up to date. If you don't need them, you should uninstall them. Right. As far as securing all your accounts, your email, your social media, your Amazon Prime. Uh, make sure you use good strong passwords and by that I mean a password that's 14 characters long that has numbers lower and uppercase letters and special characters don't use like a dictionary word that's not a, a good strong password so secure all these accounts with good strong passwords and don't use the same password for all your accounts Use unique password for each one. That will greatly improve your your security of all your accounts, your bank account, your emails, your your things like that. Mm-hmm. That those are things that we can do to really protect ourselves better. Use anti malware software. I personally like Trend Micro. I'm not being sponsored or anything by them. I just like their platform because of um, they offer a anti-virus anti-malware solution for all my different devices for android for my macbook for my windows computer for my ipad for my iphone i can just install that one solution and that's going to definitely help me in protecting myself against any kind of malware when i'm browsing the internet Uh, my wife recently she went to a website um, to get a recipe And that website, sure enough, had malware and Trend Micro immediately alerted her that that website is not safe. Right. And so she just exited out of that website. So these are things that we can do to really protect ourselves against having our identity and our data stolen. As far as uh, social media and things like that, uh, be very careful what you post. Uh, Be careful who you friend. Make sure that only the people that you trust and know have access and can see your profile and your information. And um, it's not a bad idea to even use a, like to not put your exact date of birth whenever you sign up for social media or email or anything like that. If you put in your exact date of birth, your exact address, there's a lot of breaches happening every single week with all these big companies. And sooner or later, there will be a breach for that platform that you are using. And if they in that breach, they could acquire your real date of birth, your address, your full name, and that, that could be used to steal your identity, to open uh, potentially credit cards in your name and so forth. So be aware of that. Maybe if I'm, let's say I'm born on April 24th, maybe I'll put down that I'm born on the 20th or something. Uh, just not my exact personal information. I wouldn't, I wouldn't just give that out to all these different platforms because the truth is they don't secure their things properly many, many times. And and they they will or they have had a data breach and then your information will be exposed. So these right. are things that we can do to to really protect ourselves.
1: That's good information. Can I ask you what you think about or could you describe what a VPN is? Absolutely.
0: There's a lot of uh, ads actually, probably on, uh, I've seen them all over YouTube now with the VPN about privacy and um, VPNs are good, but there's definitely some misconceptions about VPNs. Um,
1: And they're virtual private networks. Is that correct?
0: Yes. That's what they're called. It's a virtual private network. Um, They work really well if you're trying to bypass censorship so if you need to uh, access some websites that are restricted in certain countries and you connect to a uh, to vpn to a server outside of that country you could bypass that censorship you can bypass any kind of uh, monitoring of your internet usage by your local internet provider so they they do work good against that right especially or if you're on public wi-fi um, They work good for that. You should use a, a VPN. I I don't recommend connecting to any public Wi-Fi just because of the dangers, but a VPN, a virtual private network, works um, good to uh, protect what you're doing online, your, your online activity from being uh, monitored. They don't protect you against malware. So if you end up on a website that has malware or you download right. some kind of malware on your uh, computer, you need an antivirus or anti-malware software for that. Right. Uh, Definitely a a good tool and, and not very expensive tool. Right.
1: They're pretty cheap and it basically shields others from being able to track your online activity. But like you said, if you go to a bad website with bad stuff on it, it could still slime your computer, but it does act as a shield. So that is one of the things that is out there. We also have to be savvy though, right? With VPNs, there's a bunch of options out there. And some of them, I believe, have nefarious intentions where they're actually trying to collect more information through that, essentially like a honey pot. There's this sweet honey that's attracting everything, and they're just trying to uh, collect information on that as well. So I would encourage any of our listeners thinking about using a VPN to do their research. Make sure that the people that have put it together really actually care about privacy and these things, and that they're not actually something else.
0: Absolutely. And they're also subject to the laws of the country that they're in. So if I'm going to use a VPN and connect to, I don't know, Brazil, um, well, that server is definitely subject to the laws of, of Brazil. And right. so whatever information they collect on that end, uh, just be aware of that. And as far as privacy, VPNs are good to protect against your ISP, things like that. They're not a solve all problem I think for an average user that's a that's a good easy tool uh, there's other ways you can you can go about protecting your privacy better yeah. um, if you're more advanced user but for an, an average user having a VPN service is is a good tool to have
1: let me rattle off a couple other things that I, I've heard come up in previous conversations that we've shared and you can just kind of give it a thumbs up thumbs down you can just speak into it. But routers, making sure that our routers are up to date and, and properly protected, is that something we should do?
0: Yes, absolutely. Just like um, all the other electronic devices, you want to make sure your, your Wi-Fi router from your home is uh, updated. So you should check periodically for that as well. And any other electronic device, I mean, if you have a smart uh, TV, right. you want to keep that updated. If you have a smart coffee maker, keep that updated. Smart refrigerator, keep that updated. Um absolutely everything should be uh, kept updated.
1: Yeah, it's almost like we're going to see a wave of dumb machines because so many people are going to get tired of these smart machines that are vulnerabilities that they're going to be looking for dumb devices. Speaking of dumb devices, I, I remember you mentioning once that, you know, sometimes you'll be at a hotel or at an airport and there'll be charging stations and there's you can have the option of plugging in your USB or you can use kind of that dumb little device, that that block, that box that comes at the end of those that you can plug into a normal outlet and how you really encourage people to use those dumb devices to plug in rather than use, using your USB. Is that correct?
0: Yes, that is correct. I, uh, I would not plug my phone into a USB charging station anywhere outside right. my
1: house. Right. Another thing is, um, what is your take on listening devices? There's a whole bunch of listening devices that are commercially available that are helpful that, you know, help us set alarms. I'm thinking of like Alexas and things like that. These stations that you can have in your kitchen, play music, set lighting, all kinds of stuff. What, what is your take on those types of devices in the house?
0: I don't have them in my house. That's for sure. In order for a device to be able to listen for your commands, it does mean that they're listening to everything you're saying. Now we've been assured that everything is ignored, but certain commands. But how, how do I know that for sure? Yeah, I don't. And I, and there's, I know it's been quite a little bit of a scandal a while back, uh, one particular maker of those kind of devices came out or somebody exposed them and said, yeah, there's actually people on the other end listening to snippets of conversations to help uh, better tune that, uh, the AI for that device. So that's quite an invasion of privacy in my opinion. So I would, um, I would be very careful using these kind of devices. Right. They're definitely convenient and they make your life much better in in many respects, but um, it's up to to the individual to decide what kind of privacy, what level of of privacy and risk they're willing to uh, accept.
1: Right. And I just wanted to put in a quick cue for people, again, going back to our missional construct, and, you know, the Christian Emergency Alliance is trying to help on theological grounds. Uh, We're trying to develop a missional heartbeat and a missions focus throughout local churches around the world, and as part of that, we just want to put in this plug that really, really, really be careful with your smartphones, with these devices, if you have teams or individuals going into sensitive countries to help with Christians, Christian activity, please be very cautious in using those. Consider leaving it home. Consider leaving it home, maybe have a different device, something that doesn't have all this information loaded onto it. It's really shocking if if you were to give your phone to somebody like Dan. Dan, somebody of that Calibre would be able to, if you gave them access, they'd be able to just go through and find remarkably scary information. Your geographic trafficking, where, wherever you have been, timestamps, photos. I mean, it's it's just staggering the level of information that we're carrying around on these phones. Those microphones, especially in some of those sensitive countries, don't presume that they can't hear you while they're in your pocket. Don't presume that they're not listening if you turn them off. Don't presume that they're not tracking if they're turned off. Again, it might be the best bet to just go ahead and leave those home. If you're having conversations with Christians who are vulnerable and you do have that smartphone on you, leave it in another room. Get it away. Just be thinking through those thoughts. That's in those more serious contexts. Dan, would you agree with that assessment?
0: Yeah, absolutely. For example, you have an Android phone, and depending on how your Google account's configured, you could easily have a map. Of, of everywhere you've been in the last few years. And we, we find that a lot on people's phones that you, you open up their phone and some of them don't even have a, a screen lock password, which you should absolutely have. And that's a, a good complex password. And we're looking at their phone and it's literally every point they've been for the last three, four years, everything they did, all their search history, all their YouTube history, everything is in there. And that could really get them in trouble.
1: Yeah. Or others in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. So I understand that this is um a more practical episode where we're talking through some of these things, but I do think it's helpful. It's the types of things that we need to be aware of and we need to be more aware of. The the takeaway isn't to become hermits and you know take your phones and your technology and, and haul them into the sea. The takeaway is to be smart, to be Thoughtful and how you utilize technology, how you can use it to be a blessing for your family and your church and not a curse. Dan, if there were listeners that wanted to follow this up and learn some more, have some better information, more detailed information, are there some resources out there or organizations that you would vector them to?
0: Uh, Yes, I'll give you a bit of a background on that. Um, I've uh, I work with. Master's Bible School. Master's Bible School is, um, does an amazing job of reaching out to people in closed countries and persecuted countries, uh, countries that are very impoverished, and they bring them the, the gospel. They teach them uh, how to interpret the Bible using the Bible and teach missionaries to go out and uh, evangelize and teach the Word of God. So, for a few years now, uh, we've realized there's such a great need for missionaries and for Christians to uh, understand cybersecurity, understand the risks and things that they can do since technology is such a part of their life now, even with missionaries. So we, we've been spending time going and teaching these missionaries uh, the Bible, the Word of God, of course, and then also uh, cybersecurity. So I'll give you the, the website is mastersbibleschool.org. And um, the contact email address is contact at school.org.
1: Okay, well, we will make sure to get that information into our show notes. Listeners, if you want to follow up on this, go check those show notes. Check out Masters Bible School uh, for the resources. And I believe Masters Bible School also has online resources that anybody can benefit from. Is that correct, Dan?
0: Yeah, so... It should be all on the website. So if they contact us, we'll we'll be more than happy to assist with uh, getting them uh, set up or what they need to do to to be able to to do the training or use any kind of resources we have on the website.
1: So this is really good stuff. If those that are projecting an increase in some of this soft totalitarianism, where we're gonna have where the church is going to be under pressure from fusing big tech and big corporations and governments. This is definitely stuff that even if you're not working in the most sensitive areas of the world, you need to be savvy too. Your families need to be savvy too. So this is gold. Dan, I really appreciate your time. Is there any way that our listeners can be praying for you right now?
0: Absolutely. Um but to continue to help us in uh, teaching and making aware of the cybersecurity risks that they are exposed using technologies and especially missionaries that are going to countries that are closed and persecuted.
1: Well, we can certainly do that. I want to thank you for taking a little bit of your time to share with all of us. And on behalf of our audience, I want to let you know that we're grateful for the work that you have been doing, what you're doing, and we're excited to see how God continues to move through all of you for the kingdom. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. All right. Bless you, Dan. We'll talk again soon. Bless you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today for the Christian Emergency Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends about us and ask them to subscribe as well. To learn more about the Christian Emergency Alliance or financially invest in our ministry, visit us at www.christianemergency.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you again for listening and stand strong out there.